Good afternoon. I'm Leon Davis. It is Saturday, uh, February the 2nd. It's 2 p.m. I want to thank you very much for joining me this uh, today. My podcast today is going to be um, the U.S. of prisons. I'm going to talk about uh, prisons and I have specific um, things I want to talk about. Um, there are many aspects of crime and the prison system uh, in America that can be discussed and probably needs to be this well not probably needs to be discussed in great detail such as the death penalty public versus private operation of prisons uh, solitary confinement uh, the purpose of a prison the effects of a prison uh, and a whole lot more and I think um, it's almost near impossible to have a discussion about um, incarceration without touching on many of the aspects surrounding um, the prisons. Uh, but I hope to limit this um, conversation today to some of the whys. The why I want to discuss is why do we have prisons? What are we trying to accomplish? Welcome, Welcome to, to Altitude, Altitude Adjustment. Very good. Um, so I'm going to start off by, well, some people, um, when I ask the question, why do we have prisons? Uh, and they just say our is to lock up the bad people. Um, but our criteria of a bad person is uh, forever changing. And how do we implement that and, and why do we continue to implement? Do we need to make changes to um, that reason for locking people up? Um, the prison system is also not just for locking people up. Uh, there are references to corrections and rehabilitation. So when we talk about incarceration, uh, there's also we call them correctional facilities or we call them penitentiaries and penitentiary meaning uh, paying penance and writing oneself morally. So I'm going to start with a little bit of background and then I'll talk about why I, I'm asking this question. Um, so the American prison system is based on the British prison system, that's how it started. And um, so the in the British, British pr prison system, uh, during the 18th century, English philanthropists proposed solitary confinement as a way to rehabilitate inmates morally. Since at least 1740, philanthropic thinkers touted the use of penal solitude for two primary purposes. One, to isolate prison inmates from the moral contagion of other prisoners. And I think that's significant. And, and maybe I'll, I'll try to work that in a little bit later. And two, to jumpstart their spiritual recovery. And that being the um, correctional aspect of it. Uh, the philanthropist found solitude far superior to hard labor, which originally hard labor was what they thought would spur people to change um, and uh, so failing to get at the underlying spiritual causes of crime 
um, they've tried different tools to try to bring about correction. Now, in their conception of prison as a penitentiary or place of repentance for sin, the English philanthropist departed from continental models and gave birth to a largely novel idea. And according to social historians, um, in, found, in turn found its way into penal practice in the United States. And I think I might have chopped up that sentence. But anyway, um, so in their, in their endeavors to find solutions to crime, um, the uh, United States eventually um, picked up on that aspect of the, the penal system. Now, imprisonment as a form of criminal punishment only became widespread in the United States just before the American Revolution of 1765. And then a few facts about prisons. Now, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's going to be difficult to have a discussion about prisons and not um, dealing with some of the surrounding issues. So in order to understand why we do not, we do we do have to understand how prisons are being used now and take a look at what we what we anticipate we need to do or we need to accomplish with our prison system. So some of the um, important facts, 1719, uh, 1719 state prisons, 1719 state prisons in 50 states, there's 1,719 prisons. There are 102 federal prisons. There are 901 juvenile correctional facilities. Now, you'll f uh, find links in the descriptions for this podcast uh, where I got this these facts and information. So if you want to follow up on that, that i put that in there for that purpose. There are 3,163 local jails, 3,163 local jails. There are three military prisons. There are immigration and detention facilities, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. There are civil commitment centers and prisons in the U.S. territory. Another fact. While Americans only make up about 5% of the world's population, our prison system houses nearly 25% of the world's prison population. Out of 5% of the country, out of 5% of the, the planet's population, we have 25% of the world's prisoners. Only 23% of released prisoners stay out of prison. So we're talking about recidivism, and these are things you might have heard recently. I'm, if you you know pay attention to the news, it's it's been a popular topic uh, over the, uh, the last few years. Um, so only twenty three percent of the prisoners who were released. Um, let's see, what was that? Two thousand five. Okay, so a study that was um, revealed that 77% of state prisoners 
who were released in 2005 were rearrested by 2010. So five years later, 77% of the people released uh, during that time period were back in jail with 43%, almost half of them, going back inside prison within the first year of their release. Uh, another fact that I found interesting was the that Louisiana is the prison capital of the world, not just um, in the United States, of the world. In Louisiana, one in 86 adults are currently in prison. There's always the costs that are associated with prison. Um, $184 billion are spent for incarceration per year. $184 billion per year is spent on incarceration. This is how we are using resources to lock people away and retain them in those facilities. And um, there's a really interesting graphic that uh, that accompanies or that's in the comments um, and it broke down all of the ways that we spend money on uh, incarceration. It broke down phone calls and food and commissary and um, police policing, you know, specifically to um, related to that incarcer incarcerated in prison um, system. Uh, and there, it was a lot of very good information there. And I would encourage you to take a moment to take a look at it if you if you get an opportunity. Um, so, so I mentioned that there are a lot of things that are that need to be that can be discussed when dealing with the prison system and, and how it's implemented here in the United States. And one of the things is how money plays into that. Um, so, so the idea that um, we choose to lock away people who don't live by a certain set of rules and, and how society functions and operates. And we find that, that those people uh, are a threat to how well the community works together and accomplishes things together. And so it is important for us to remove them from society and hopefully um, have them examine their behavior and then make changes so that that they're more in line with how the society functions so that they're not uh, we don't want people to just walk into someone else's home and take things from their home uh, just because they want them so um, um, they should we have a work ethic here in, in this country it um, and we encourage people to work for their um, um, items that they want to uh, to have and not just 
um, take someone else's. Um, that is thwarted when we allow people to buy their way out of the prison system. Uh, one of the we we talk about that a lot. Um, how money impacts the criminal justice system where legal representation uh, is better achieved with more money, which means, which equates to um, justice can be bought. It can be paid for. The um, You can opt out of living by society's rules if you have enough money you are allowed to ignore or break rules based on your income so that you may have worked hard for the money that you have um, and we i've talked earlier about money money's role in our society how it buys uh, political it gives you additional political power. It allows you to um, exercise influence that other people don't have. And I, so we talk a lot about our society um, encouraging personal achievement. But I, I can't imagine that we want to encourage that personal achievement at the expense of the whole the society as a whole. If we allow people to purchase their way out of following rules, um, then the rules become only significant um, depending on your income. And um, one of the things that I think is difficult um, is that we have, so we t I've heard the term debtor's prison. This is where um, an individual is pr imprisoned because of debt. Now, depending on, so the question becomes, why are we, imprisoning people for debt uh, if if a person incurs debt through just normal everyday living this every everyone gets sick uh, everyone has to has you know things emergencies come up where equipment or a car may break down and they have to get back and forth to work and because our society has become more mobile and jobs move more quickly than than previously where a company would stay in a particular community for 50 or more years where, where that's now with globalization things are moving companies are more likely to pick up and move operations and not necessarily offer current employees an opportunity to move but the reason that they're moving is to actually displace those workers. That's their intent. We also have um, incentives for 
management to cut staff. So, so you have people that are going to be, that are going to have problems making um, financial obligations. And then to have them being considered prison worthy is another is another thing I would like to ask why why do we want to imp are there people who are going to take advantage of the system who may go out um, incur an inordinate amount of debt and then if there's no punishment or if there's no uh, if they're not held accountable will walk away from that debt uh, and there's a, a lot of ways to walk away from debt um, but but they're able to walk away from debt and we don't want that to happen and so how there has to be a way to try to hold people accountable for that um, but imprisoning them so we, we take and we imprison that person um, while they're in prison they cannot pay the debt they cannot do anything to work the debt off so the debt remains in place the debt um, probably increases when any penalties and interest that might be attached and so by imprisoning someone because of debt compounds the problem so now not only do they have to pay the debt back but they're probably going to be charged by the the prison system by the the jailing system for um, for their time in that system, for their processing of, you know, being arrested and um, standing before a judge, so so those they incur some additional costs, and so they become further in debt and becomes a dip, much more difficult for them to um, find their way out of it, and so it becomes a vicious cycle downwards for them. And I and so one of the things I'd like to question is 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 debt the best way to is prison the best way to handle um, people that have incurred debt um, we so one of the questions there then becomes you know if we don't is there some debt that's worthy of prison um, and and what is the how do we rehabilitate someone who has debt if they if they struggled to pay their debt and they try let's let's just let's take into account that maybe they were really trying and they were unsuccessful in their efforts and maybe they took chances or whatever the case may be um how what is how do you rehabilitate that person how do you so is it just penal is it just punishment um if 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 we see prison, as I, as I mentioned, there are a couple of ways to see, well, I guess a couple of others. There are a couple of aspects of prison. There is the, the penalty part of it. And then there, I think there has to be the rehabilitation part of it. Um, it does not make sense to jail people with the concept that they're always going to be prisoners, that we're always going to have to provide resources because uh, we as society have to provide those resources if we jail them to maintain them 
in that in that facility and um so the the cost of that i think the, the last time was upwards of fifty thousand dollars annually per um inmate so we've got a situation where we've jailed someone because of debt and we're going to hold them until they somehow come up with the resources to pay for this debt. And, and while they're doing that, they may have been um, paying taxes. They may have been trying to work, trying to find work. Um, they may have been trying to be productive in society. But now we've taken them from being productive. And now they become a cost on the system. So now we're we're uh, we've incurred a debt because they've incurred a debt and were and had trouble getting out of it. And I would think that there would be better ways to approach that so that it's a win-win situation for everyone. Um, one of the the things that I, I mentioned earlier about the I well I didn't actually I didn't. Um, Talk about the number of prisoners. I just mentioned that we were that we had 25 percent of the world's prison population here in the United States. And, and that's so for, for such a small part of the the, the um, global population, we have such a large part of the prison population. And I don't I can't imagine that. We're we're so there's so many prisoners, there's so many bad people. Um, in our society. And and one of the things that I've questioned <clears throat> is um, the, the war on drugs and, and everyone's questioned it. And, and I find it difficult to see why it's taking us so long to change how we approach this. Um, so we have, a drug dealer. So we've we've criminalized the distribution, the sale and distribution of. Uh, hold on. We've criminalized the sale and distribution of narcotics. And when we weren't successful at stemming the sale of narcotics, then we tried to approach the problem by imprisoning the person who who has the drugs the person who uses the drugs so whereas you may have um in a particular area you may have five people that sell drugs but you may have several hundred to several thousand people that take the drugs by by making the By making the possession of the drug as a crime, a imprisonable crime, the population is going to swell because it's more likely because you have just just math, you have more drug users than you have distributors because it's less likely you're going to have a drug distributor per drug user 
So usually one drug distributor is going to service multiple drug users. So because of sheer numbers, it's more likely that you're going to arrest and detain and imprison more drug users than you do drug distributors. And for every person that you arrest for drug using, there's probably one or two more people that are going to become drug users. So the logic, I understand some of the logic is if we eliminate, if we make people afraid to purchase drugs that they won't support um, drug distributors and then drug distributors will have to find something else to do. Um, I would think after the number of years that we've put into this process, we would realize that that's not working, that we need some way different on how to approach that so that we can better manage drugs in our society. Um, so we tend to criminalize both sides and, and I fully understand why the logic behind it. But when we put those into place, maybe we did not stop and think about the eventual outcome, the impact of it on society on the, those uh, behaviors that arresting everyone for um, for being a, a distributor and for being a customer of a distributor. And one of the things, um, so we, we, it is a crime to, to um, steal. So you, you go into someone to have stolen property, to steal property. Um, so we've criminalized stealing. Perfectly reasonable. Then, to try to um, stem thieves, we criminalize the possession of stolen property. So, so now we're trying to make people uh, police officers, someone comes to you, they have something to sell. If you're not familiar with that person, you have to be suspicious. So I, for a time, worked on computers and I let everyone know if you needed your computer worked on, you could come by and I would take care of it for you. And it came to the point where I had to, um, so pe people who don't, who know me would tell other people and that person would call me up. And then I would have to, one, I question the person and say, uh, is this stolen? Now, um, uh, uh, most people aren't going to like having their integrity questioned um, by someone that they're paying to assist them. But in order to protect myself, I now have to be a bit 
um, discourteous. And someone might say, well, that's fine because then um, it forces people who steal maybe to not steal. But I, I, people who steal are going to have the same. They could care less if you call them a thief. It is not like they're they're um, really concerned with your idea of them. They are, for whatever their reasoning is, um, making commerce. Maybe making commerce is incorrect way to put it, but they are they, they acquire an item. They need quick cash or whatever the case may be. And so their concern then at that particular point is getting caught. It's not about your image of them or our image of them. And so by me asking someone, you know, did you, is this um, computer yours? If they tell me the computer's theirs, I have to believe that. I, there, there may be signs that them, them, it may not be, but um, without any proof, making allegations is not a pleasant way to transact business. Um, so there's that aspect of it, criminalizing, indiscriminately criminalizing the possession of, and we'd like to think that um, that somehow the truth will come out if you did not steal it, or if if you're if you did not purchase the item, or you did not uh, work on the item, um, knowing that it was stolen. Um, there's no way for um, police or or the court system um, to easily determine that you did not steal the item or that you did not know that the item was stolen. So then it comes down to trust. Are you a trustworthy person? And we know that it only takes a couple of instances of things not going well where your integrity can be called into question. And so it becomes difficult to determine when something is has truly been stolen or when it was an honest mistake. And so by criminalizing both sides of it, are we solving the problem? Are we achieving what we want to achieve with our our prison system and that's what I'm, I want to question is is there a better way to achieve to get the results that we need that, to get the results that help us build a better society um, so we have so many different issues that have to be resolved and yet it takes us for so long so in the 80s, since the 80s, our prison population has increased over 500%. We are in the, they've just this year, in 2019, um, passed legislation to try to trim some of the people that we have incarcerated. But the problem is,
it's not going to be far enough. It's not going to be fast enough. And when we make the decision to criminalize something, um, hopefully we will use um, better judgment in determining how our, our prison system works. And is that the way to address the problem? Um, so we have a lot of different views on, on how to make that happen. And one of the things that is important to me is to try to get people to have the conversation uh, so that we can start to resolve those problems and not go another five years with a, a system that is not serving us, that's costing and pulling so many resources from the uh, economy, from the um, our, our system of, of a political, uh, pulling so many resources out of, you know, our, um, I want to say economy, I guess that's it, um, to achieve uh, what we want to achieve as, as a country. And so hopefully we will start to be more nimble in addressing the deficiencies in how we operate our society. I'm going to wrap it this up this afternoon. Um, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. It has been great. Now the podcast is available. Um, it's streamed live each week right here on YouTube. Uh, so that you are encouraged to participate by questions and including your thoughts. To participate, please contact Altitude Adjustment by connecting to us via Skype at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com or Google Hangouts at thelionsden.stl at gmail.com. Please feel free to connect with me on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and YouTube. And I'm going to put an asterisk by Facebook there a lot of times I get uh, requests and it's difficult to ascertain whether they're legitimate requests so it may be that I may reject your request at first but tr if you're int truly interested make sure you leave me a note and and uh, get back with me so be sure to look for this podcast and other episodes where you listen to podcasts your likes, and shares, or internet gold. So please like and share this podcast where you find it. Remember, be cool, be calm, and above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.